I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Happy Mama Movement podcast. I'm Amy Taylor-Kabaz, mama, journalist, coach, and founder of Mama Rising. This podcast is a space of community and collaboration. We gather stories of matrescence, motherhood, womanhood, and change told by our mummerizing coaches and mothers around the globe in the knowing that through our stories, we can begin to heal and change the way the world sees, values, and supports mothers everywhere. So welcome to the Happy Mama Movement. And welcome to our special partner series. I have been exploring, researching and coaching mothers around motherhood for more than a decade. And during that time, so often get asked, what about the partner? Is there something called patrescence? Do they go through similar identity shifts? What do dads feel as they become fathers? And how can we understand that experience better? And that is what this special series is dedicated to. I searched for three experts to explore different aspects of partnering as you become a partner and a parent. And this is what I am so excited to share with you today. And in this second episode of this special series, I speak with Dr. Sonal Patel, mother of four, paediatrician and specialist of supporting parents as they become parents. She now goes into homes and hears the stories of both mother and father and in this interview explores what happened with her partner as they become parents and also how a father's identity shifts and changes very similar to our experience of matrescence. Welcome everybody to another one of our episodes in our special partner series. Today we are answering the question, is there something called patrescence? A question I have been asked for so many years as I speak about matrescence and when I wanted to find the answer to this question, that that question, that inquiry led me to the work of Dr. Sonal Patel, who is a certified paediatrician, a neonatologist, a breastfeeding specialist, an author, a TEDx speaker, and mama of four boys, which definitely makes you an expert in this area. Thank you so much for joining me for this really exciting and important conversation. Thank you for having me. This is fun. It's it's a nice switch also to talk about the um, the partners and non-birthing, the dads, all of that. 
Yes, it is such a... Um, it's such an important conversation to have. Over the years, I've often had, as I said, my own uh, answer to that question, but have also been quite adamant that I wanted to stay in my lane, quite adamant that I think in this space, in my work, let's talk about the experience of becoming a mother because so much needs to change in that area. But then the further along I have got in this conversation, I realise that we, we do need to understand the other side of the experience. We do need to be able to recognise that, in a way, the system is not working for anybody here. In a way, we're not acknowledging the change of identity, the change of our hormones and experience in either of the parents in this conversation, which has led me to want to talk about this now. So first of all, Tell us a little bit about you and your work and your experience of becoming a mother through matrescence. Yes. Um, <clears throat> well, again, thank you for having me here. Uh, I am married to my college sweetheart, and that is a very important key in all of this and learning about more about matrescence. He is also a physician. He's a trauma orthopedics physician, and we both started our training at the same time. We had our first boy in residency, and that really forced the conversations to happen. And um, so we can dive in a little more deeper. Then our second one was uh, after fellowship. Both of us had fellowships, and so both of us had six years of full training that happened. And we had decided, well, one was fine <laughs> during the training, and we would wait until we had a little bit more um, the fallacy of control of our schedule in which there's never a control of anyone's schedule in any career. And so then we added um, our, our three other boys. Um, one of the biggest jolts in our one of our pregnancies and postpartum was with the delivery of my third baby. And when he was four weeks old, my husband's dad suffered a major stroke and my husband was literally would be at with us the week and then would travel down. Um, we live in Denver, Colorado. They used to live in Little Rock, Arkansas, which is about two, two and a half hour flight and would travel down there on the weekends and then come back up. And here I was postpartum four weeks out, two older kiddos with a third um, at that. And that was very challenging uh, to say the least. And then um, we had, when we had our fourth also, it was, he came early. And so usually my husband, we don't, I don't know where everyone is at listening, but the United States sucks at paid family leave. So let's just kind of blanket mm -hmm. it there. Um, so we had kind of figured out how we could have some leave. However, with my baby coming early, he didn't have control of when he could take the leave. And it was, those kind of pivotal time periods in my own journey of being postpartum, coming into patrescence, coming into motherhood, really forced us to have big conversations when we weren't ready for it. You know, I mean, I blatant, like, I, I just remember I was just so hurt that we were in a situation where we had our third and um, he wasn't there supporting me. And it wasn't that he was going out to go like with his friends. He literally was trying to balance. And I know I've said hurtful things to him during that time because we've had open conversations with it. 
And finally, you know, when you kind of step away from all the stuff that we've kind of gone through, you can have those conversations in a more safer time period where emotions aren't running high and really understand what your partner is going through. Mm. In this special series that I've been doing, um, we've, we've approached it from two ways. One is how can my partner understand what I'm going through, what matrescence is? How can um, they understand why I might be angry all the time or why I seem to be resentful, why these emotions are coming up, to try and really put it in perspective how uh, matrescence changes us as the birthing parent. And then on the other side, the intention of this series was to do the opposite, to allow all of the mamas that listen to this podcast around the world to try and understand with some compassion how that's changing for them as well, what that perspective is. So looking back at that huge variety of becoming a parent, those huge different experiences you've had over the last 18 years because your eldest is now 18, when you think about his perspective and have had, having had those conversations, what do you understand now? What do you see this experience of becoming a father has been like? What, what I see is that there is so much more other pressure that he was facing, that there is a, there is a financial pressure of keeping everything afloat um, and also just making sure that his wife was fine the ability to take a moment to enjoy his son. Uh, sometimes those moments were stolen from him and it allowed, it allowed space to kind of relook even in my own work of how now how I counsel families as well um, moving forward. But those were the big things. I mean, it really kind of, it pained me and hurt me, especially with our third, that he didn't have those opportunities where he could just do some skin to skin or he could just breathe. Um, I think some of that aspects of it was really hard. Um, when you add clinical and medical terms to it, we know that fathers, about 10% of them, um, do go through depression and their symptoms are quite different than what mothers will go through. So their symptoms come out to be anger to making really rash decisions, to making, um, to being secluded, not, and because the other thing that in those conversations that we've, we've had also, and my husband was looking for a mentor that might have gone through the same thing that he's gone through. And there's a really a lack of support that way. You know, we kid and we're like, oh, you know, the dad is, you know, we, we joke and say, oh, we see the dad in the park with the baby. And we're like, oh, my God, the dad's in the park with the baby. However, we forget that that might be the only outlet they have because they don't have this outlet to be like, we have mommy groups. We have the ability to just be like, OK, this motherhood thing sucks right now. But they sometimes might not have the ability or even a pathway to voice it. Um, now my work, I've actually transitioned to uh, being a home health physician, a fourth trimester physician, where we just focus on fourth trimester care and bringing medical care home. And I remember this dad. So this is, uh, we had done it the second time. This was their second baby. 
And we did the first appointment, everything was going fine. Second appointment, everything was going fine. We do it at the house. So we have about 60 to 75 minutes. So it's not in a clinic, it's at their home, which is really amazing and just an amazing opportunity to do that with my families. And this dad, the now that he's gotten comfortable with me, he literally at the end of the appointment is like, Dr. Patel, I'm not doing well. And what had happened is that his baby had come out blue. It was a vaginal delivery. The baby had come out blue. The neonatal team was there. They had resuscitated the baby greatly. It was within a couple of minutes, nothing major. But he could not get that picture out of his head that he had literally, his baby had come out basically in his words, dead. And it was just so powerful for, for, like I recognized what position I was in, that he was comfortable enough to telling me that I saw this, I saw this. And then they were working on my wife and they're working on my baby and I didn't know where to turn. And I'm having a really hard time now. This is three weeks out, three to four weeks out. I'm having a really hard time. And those are the experiences and the conversations that like you had mentioned, we barely do a good job with moms <laughs> in supporting them. But those are the conversations that, aren't happening. And then we have higher rates of miscommunication, higher rates of, you know, people just being angry at each other and not realizing that there is so much growth that is happening within not only individually, but also in a relationship. So those are some powerful things that I've come across. Yes. And in my work, we look at what we call the wheel of matrescence. This is part of the mummerizing training that I that I teach and I and I do, where we look at how this experience of matrescence changes all these different areas of your life, almost like a wheel of life. And when you look at that for the non-birthing partner or the father, the um the dad, it's the same thing that this experience of becoming a father now, of becoming a parent, has now changed every area of their life. It's how they, they feel differently about their work. They feel differently about themselves. They worry about whether they're going to be a good role model. What if they didn't have a great dad? And they worry about how they're going to do it differently. They worry about the world and whether it's a safe place and all of these things. And like we said, we don't do this well for mums, but we definitely don't do it well for the dads. And so often I've heard the stories, especially in doing this special series, that dads more than sometimes almost more than mums are expected to return to work within days sometimes. And everyone like slaps them on the back and says, well done, mate. How's the baby? Good, great. And then you just get back to work. Nothing else changes and everything is beginning to change inside of them. So can you talk to us about that change of of patrescence, what is going on? What does the science and also your own experience of, of listening to all of these fathers and these parents over the years, what is changing within them in this time? Yes. So <clears throat> to add all to that, um, remember the dads also went through COVID. We all went through COVID as a world. So we did unearth so many more mental issues and isolation and so these true. fathers are coming from that area as well um mm. i always joke that oxytocin is a hormone it's a love hormone right it's put it's what puts you in this position and when dads do skin to skin um 
really amazing literature that comes from the uh, kangaroo care in the NICUs where you can see, even if the dads are doing the skin to skin, where the vital signs stabilize of that baby, that baby is responsive to the dads. Oxytocin is increased in the dads. It's a love hormone. He has to, his, his, um, all this stuff that identifies love, you know, dilating of the eyes and just feeling good inside, all of those things can be measured, but we don't really have to measure them. We can clinically see them as well. We don't always have to have invasive blood work to be like, hey, you, you love your child. All of that is occurring. But then we put this birthing, non-birthing parent in a situation where all the other stressors are coming for them, right? We talk about them going back to work. Fine, they go back to work, but then they're coming back in a situation where, you know, the baby doesn't sleep all night. They're trying to support their wife. They might have older kiddos. They're trying to take them to their soccer practice. They're trying to take them to um, school. Like simple things like that are the stressors that they are going through. And so their changes are not also happening in a vacuum. Then at the end of the time, they're looking to connect with their partner in a meaningful way, not a sexual way, in a meaningful way. And no one's giving them direction because we haven't allowed giving our moms the permission to be like, okay, it's okay to take a minute for yourself and it's okay to kind of foster this relationship. So one of the things that I do is once two weeks have hit um, after birth, I, I call it survival mode. I'm like, you guys are in survival mode. Throw everything out. Order whatever food you want. You're in survival mode. But about two weeks or so, people are starting to get a little bit more of their bearings down. And I really advocate for coffee dates, which are 10 to 15 minutes. And they can be as simple as going out on the porch and getting some sun for both of you guys. Um, two, if you have someone, if you have members, if you have doulas, if you have family members in your home at the time, really stepping out for 10 to 15 minutes, going down to your local coffee shop and just enjoying a coffee drink. I don't advocate for lunch. It's just too much pressure. I don't advocate for dinner. It's just too much pressure on the moms, you know, and the dads are like, oh, I would love to take, I remember this so much. Um, I had with my second, I had a grade three and a grade four tear and it was Valentine's Day was coming up and my husband wanted to take me to Valentine's. So this was about, I was about four weeks post and he had one of my favorite restaurants, you know, put it there, did all this work, brought me flowers and I was miserable the whole time because it hurt. <laughs> I didn't yes. want to get glamored up. I, I didn't feel good in my body. And then on my husband's side, he wanted me, he wanted to appreciate me to things that he's done for me or what I've gone through, but there was such a disconnect there. And so that's what I say too, is like, you know, initially coffee dates, because here's the deal. You come back together in a relationship and breastfeeding and being involved as a parent, that's going to be... Sorry, sorry, let me say that. Breastfeeding, particularly breastfeeding, because that, that kind of sucks about a lot of the, our time out. That's going to be such a short amount of time with parenting this child. But when you start having coffee dates and establishing those relationships and establishing the fact that your relationship is important, then you come together as parents. And then you can be, when they are nine years old, be like, oh, good God, I am so tired of parenting. <laughs> like, I can't go through this phase again. And 
I remember we had gone to a point that, you know, we had graduated from the coffee dates to um, actual a date a month type of deal that my oldest, he was seven and he got cutely dressed up for his babysitter and everything. And he would come down and he actually would tell us, hey, it's been a month. Have you not gone on your date yet? Or why aren't you guys not going out on your date? But the point is that you are putting your relationship first, right? But you're doing it when you're, you're making 10, 15 minutes time for it. It's not this huge thing that, you know, the, the dad wants to thank. So here's the thing that, that, that Valentine's Day, right? He wanted to thank me. He understood. He had seen the sutures. He had understood that. But I wasn't in that place. And if that's why I'm like coffee dates, just coffee dates are simple or easy. Also, as a mom, I mean, I just felt like, how can I leave my baby? <laughs> you know, this baby's been part of me for nine months. How can how are you telling me to just leave it? And so 10 to 15 minutes doesn't sound that terrible. I love that idea because so often I've been coaching and listening to mums for over a decade now. And one of the biggest sources of, of struggle and sadness and pain and worry is the massive change in their relationship. You know, it, it's like they, they may not have expected to feel the way they do in motherhood, but they know that that change is part of what is happening because they are now a mum. But they definitely didn't expect such a massive change in their relationship. I love there's, um, you know, there's research around um, interviewing a couple in the pregnancy stage of what they think it will, ha will happen when the baby is here, like how much they think they'll share the responsibilities, how much they think they'll share the housework when the baby is sick, who will take time off work. And in that early, you know, before the baby arrives period of time, most couples believe it's going to be equal. It's, it's as if they set out with the best of intentions. And then in this comes, and the reality is that at the beginning, it is the birthing mother who has to do the breastfeeding. There is so much on one side. And that misunderstanding of what this really looks like right from the beginning causes such separation in that couple. I just wish that we could have that conversation earlier with both sides of the reality of what this is going to look like for a little bit. And then, as you said, it will get back to a different relationship with more time for each other. But if you could, in your work and in your perspective, if you could talk to the partner, not necessarily the mother, but if you could sort of get the partner over into one corner and say, hey, this is what's coming. This is how you will feel about it. This is what's going to be changing in you. This is what you need to do to support yourself. What would you say to them? That's a really great question. Um, and I'm very fortunate that the dads that I work with have actually helped me answer that question. Um, first of all, everyone has an intention of breastfeeding. So let's kind of look at it very strategically. With breastfeeding, the dads that uh, recently the dads I've worked with, they have had this notion that it's both our jobs to breastfeed because I am helping provide nutrition for my baby. It's my baby also. So what that looks like in reality is like 
okay, the mom is breastfeeding and I'm just going to provide her with her nutrition. I'm going to be part of that journey. That is my job. My job is, because remember, particularly men's brain is very objective. They, they can't, you have to tell them stuff, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, it is, it is what it is. That's where, what solution oriented. Absolutely. So it's like, that is for breastfeeding. We're going to breastfeed and they use that term. We are going to breastfeed. So my job in that is to provide the nutrition and the fluids. My uh, partner's job, my, the mother's job is just to nurse. That's it. That's all they're going to do. Um, and then, you know, breastfeeding changes over time. It changes with how much, uh, especially the newborn period, you are breastfeeding eight to 12 times in 24 hours, but it does change over time. But this notion of that is there. This notion of, okay, you know what? I'm going to be less thinking about breastfeeding. You know, my, my wife wants to start pumping or, you know, I will be in charge of making sure that all the bottles are clean or all the nipples are cleaned or all the storage stuff is done because we're coming together as this is our job and this is where I'm going to do it at. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's for one thing for breastfeeding. Now, when we talk about other stuff, let's say economically and financially, okay, really to have the conversation is like, listen, first of all, when you're supporting breastfeeding, you're saving money. Okay. Yes. I know there is all this other inherent, like the breastfeeding um, pump, but we live in, we live in the state of Colorado. So luckily most of those pumps are covered by insurance. Um, There's other factors that come in. However, at the end of the day, formal feeding versus breastfeeding, there is an economical savings to that. And you can put it into, I always say, you can just put it into more food, like get the food that you want. Stop thinking that. The other thing is that for those um, fathers to realize that this is temporary, okay? So sometimes there is a bigger financial hit that is happening in the newborn period, but it is temporary, okay? Um, For example, when we had the discussion about nanny and daycare, we realized that actually at the end of the day, though our nanny is costing us a little bit more, there's other inherent stuff that happens that you know, we are protecting our kids from infections. We are coming home to our kids just being home. We have one person to rely on. Our house is a little bit more clean, but maybe the groceries are done. So mm-hmm. sometimes what happens with those brains is that they just like they just look at money as okay, it's going to be this expensive, but they're forgetting to realize what is bringing underneath that that mm-hmm. parameters. So to really have those financial discussions to be like, okay, where are we going to feed? So for example, if you, unfortunately, in most of our Western cultures, we're isolated from our communities, right? We need to build our communities. And one of the part of the community building is doulas. Do postpartum doulas play a really good role in this area? And to be like, okay, well, maybe we don't need that onesie that no one's, or that really cute newborn outfit that's going to cost us $30. Maybe we should put services on our baby registry. So this conversation is already happening to be like, what do we really need in this period? Financially, economically, let's decide that. Maybe with that $30, we'll ask our friends to put into doula services because then we might get a night or two or however, wherever that works. So really kind of structuring it, the conversation. And for that brain, it's really great because they're like, okay, 
I know what we're going to do. This is what we really, this is what we really need, right? We don't need the $800 stroller. No, you guys don't need it. Sorry. You do not need the $800 stroller. <laughs> At the time you're going to be baby carrying. And by the time the baby is going to be ready to go down on a stroller, you can do an umbrella stroller. Trust me. Been there. Done it. <laughs> so, That's so true. I love it. If you can give them that they're in charge of that, they'll step up to the plate. Mm-hmm. Now, lastly, relationship, right? This is really important. Fathers need touch. They need intimacy. Initially, the first two weeks is the newborn, you know, just having the newborn doing that. But we forget intimacy is as simple. So when we fell in love, okay, with our partners, we didn't fell in love sexually right away. Everybody thinks intimacy is sexually. We fell in love with their mind. We fell in love with the brain. The brain is the biggest sexual organ, right? So giving hugs in this period of survivability, right? Just having that touch, having this hug to be like, no, you sit there, giving a massage, like a little nice back massage. Those are ways that you can touch your partner and you're and like for Matressa's part, like, like, dude, I don't, don't touch my breast. Things are leaking in 10 different directions. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. I would like a hug. Do you want to rub my back? Do you want to kind of play with my hair? I would mm-hmm. like that. Because then when my body is healing, so the next thing is we talk about um, sex in the fourth trimester also, because we're told this narrative that at six weeks, we go to that appointment and we're like, good to go. And sometimes the healing is not done. So what does that look like, right? So it could just be, we always think about intimacy and sex at night. Well, night is really hard for mothers. It really is. But you know what? You know, the afternoon when my prolactin is really low and just feel low, um, maybe me and you can take a nap together. Maybe we can just cuddle together because my body is down. Baby's going to probably be sleeping. Maybe we can just do that. And then as we progress, you know, eight, 10 weeks, let's just lie naked. Like there does it really have to be? Let's just lie naked. And then when I feel as a mother that I'm ready because you have allowed me the time and space and you have worked with my biggest organ, which is my brain, and you've got me to a point where it's comfortable. And then I've allowed you to have a little bit more of the touch intimacy that you're looking for. Then, then we come to a spot where we could be ready to have the sexual relationships. That is That's such a brilliant advice. <laughs> no, it is such brilliant advice. Cause again, I hear so often um, you know, in this experience of matrescence for a woman, there's this feeling of I've lost who I used to be and I don't know when it will come back. And in these interviews that I've been doing, but also throughout the coaching over the years, there's a similar fear in the partner that will we get our intimacy back? Will we have that connection? What happened to this, to us? And if we can be reassured that it will come back, it may look different, and that's okay. And just have these baby steps to exploring how to connect again, to have these little ways of understanding, of being patient, of of connecting, but knowing that it is going to be different for a little while. I think must when when the partners hear this, it would be so reassuring to know that this is normal, we will get back to who we used to be in a different way. Connecting will look different in, for a while. All of these reassuring things, instead of being silent about it, I think will be incredibly helpful for the, for the dads and the partners to hear it this way. 
I mean, just taking the steps, coffee dates, hugs, being part of the financial decision of breastfeeding, like doing all of those gets the dads involved in the postpartum period. So all they're not doing, we've kind of succumbed them to be like, oh, all you have to do is diaper changes. No, it's more than diaper changes. It's literally parenting your child. And it starts with the birth of that child. actually starts beforehand, right? It starts with, okay, let's kind of really sit down and have a good discussion about what our finances will look like. You know, that, mm-hmm. that, that's actually a very important discussion. Where can we put our resources and where we can't? Um, and really being open and like giving your audience these really concrete steps because yes, it will get that way. But sometimes people are like, well, how will it get that way? Okay, coffee dates, start with small, small coffee dates, starts with hugs. When your partner and you are feeling together, take a nap together, right? You know, and, and shift your mindset that it doesn't happen at night. It's not going to happen at night for a while, but why, doesn't, why does it matter? Why can't we connect in the mornings? Why can't we not connect in the afternoons? These are narratives that are being told to us that we can only have intimacy at night. Well, that's the wrong thing to be told. But we're recognizing where the mom's body is at and recognizing where the partners are at. And I think giving people, and particularly dads, very concrete ways of going about it also tells them, hey, so for example, I always related to a personal trainer. You just don't go to a personal trainer and be like, hey, I want to, you know, I want to lose 10 pounds. And they're like, fine, go do it. But they don't give you a pathway to do it. They don't give you a pathway. They they give you a pathway. They they tell you what your form is. They They kind of see where you are in your journey. They do your nutrition. And it's very concrete steps as taken. And this is the way that I look at it. It's like, these are concrete steps that are taken. I've had one um, family or one uh, couple that, you know, they just couldn't go back to being intimate. So we just worked on being friends. Like you guys were friends before this. So we might just have to redefine your relationship as friendship. And would you want this for your friend? No. Then why are you wanting this for this person? Mm. That's such a beautiful way to look at it. Thank you. I think so often we, I I said to another one of the interviews I've done in this series, um, it's so sad how often this incredibly difficult transition at times of becoming a parent because neither side have been prepared for it. Neither side really understand what's happening because we really are doing it blind and isolated it creates this space between these two new couples, these two new parents that is so sad and heartbreaking because ultimately if they could do it together, if they could understand that the other one's probably just as scared and unsure, the other one's worried about just as much as as I am, they'd be able to come together in such a beautiful way and move through this. And as part of this work, I would love for that to be clear, that we're not only not doing this well for the mother, but we aren't doing it well for the partner either. And if we could understand those changes, understand the deep financial pressure he may be feeling, how he may have birth trauma from seeing what his partner has been through and how scary it was in those moments. If we can have those conversations as well, then hopefully we can come together and change the experience for all of us, for all families. So I love the way you've described this and and the work that you're doing in this area. Yeah. 
I mean, it's, it's been, um, it's been wonderful, like literally just to kind of discover patrescence, I think, mm-hmm. um, just like you, matrescence has been something that I've been working on myself as well, realizing, mm-hmm. you know, I'm still going through matrescence <laughs> in some Me levels, too. right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's been really great. And then having, like you said, having those conversations and laying it out. So one of, so there's always been negatives and positives, right? So one of the negative things that happened was my husband had a conference two months after my baby was born or after our baby was born. And this was when I had a grade three, grade four, and I was livid because he forgot to tell me about it. And those are the things like you literally have to look at your six month schedule after the baby's born and really talk about, okay, and reward yourself. So going back to the breastfeeding, and the economical savings of it, fine. If you saved a hundred dollars per month, guess what? At six months, take that hundred dollars at $600, go have fun with it. Mm-hmm. Right. And kind of have those kind of ways also to be like, Hey, we're going to go celebrate yeah. what we both went through. So. Yes. Yes. Cause you've both just been through one of the biggest changes you will ever been through. And it's hard and it's isolating. And if we could just understand it a little bit better for each other, then hopefully they'll come together. Um, I love the work that you're doing in the notes. I will put links to your TED talk, to your work um, with the fourth trimester now and everything you have said about patrescence and um, especially with the wisdom that you bring to this as a mummer of four and how you've seen this experience yourself and then the work that you now do with families. So thank you so much for this beautiful insight. Well, thank you so much for having me and giving me the platform to really talk about it too. This is, a, this is incredible. Thanks as always for being a part of our global matrescence community. Please take a moment and make sure you're subscribed to this podcast in your podcast player so you can always be notified of our next episode. And if you would like to work with a coach on your own experience of matrescence, please go to mummarising.net and explore our directory of phenomenal coaches, workshop leaders, space holders and facilitators around the globe. You can also explore our Global Matrescence Foundation and consider donating so a mama in need can access the support of one of our coaches and still ensure that our coaches receive the income and support they need so they can continue to work in this way. And finally, if you would like to be a coach, a facilitator and a matrescence activist in your own community, jump on our wait list for our next intake of the Mama Rising Facilitator Training at mamarising.net. Thank you for being here and being part of this movement. Until next week, bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.